I bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make straight every great path. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, continuing with repentance from dead works and looking specifically at repentance, we looked at what repentance is not. And we noted that repentance is not shedding tears because you realize that you've lost something valuable as a result of your action or inaction. And now you want to cry and whip up sympathy so that you can be looked at a second time and receive that which you have lost. Repentance is not saying, I'm sorry, just so that you can get relief, not because you want to change, but you just want that relief. This was the case of Pharaoh in Egypt when he kept telling Moses, remove this plague and I will let you go. But then once the plague was removed, he would harden his heart. We said that repentance is not admitting guilt only after you've been caught when you had the opportunity to do so before. The question really is, would you have admitted guilt if you weren't caught? As in Achan's case, Achan had several opportunities to repent, but he did not until he was caught. And only then did he repent because he wanted to avoid the consequence, but it was too late for him. Repentance is not a face-saving confession, nor is it a confession to avoid public disgrace or embarrassment, as was the case with King Saul, who was more concerned with his public image than with being truly sorry for what he had done, that is disobeying the command of God. He was just interested in what the people will say, how the people will look at him if Samuel was not with him. Repentance is not punishing yourself or committing one sin to cover up another, as was the case with Judas Iscariot, who after he had betrayed the Lord and saw that it had gone against the Lord, he wanted to pay, as it were, for the crime that he had committed and wanted to punish himself. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who paid the price for our sins. He paid the price for our transgressions. If we could, we could have done it, but God would never have accepted it and he cannot accept it. You cannot commit suicide because you've done something wrong and believe that by taking your life, God will accept you. He will not. You cannot, for example, when you are pregnant, go and commit an abortion because you don't want people to know that you are pregnant. That is adding one sin over another sin. It is not repentance. A shallow remorse for sin with a view to gaining acceptance or getting something like we see in many of our churches today. People come to Christ because they are promised that if you come to Christ, you'll be healed. If you come to Christ, you will get wisdom. If you come to Christ, you'll get renowned. If you come to Christ, such and such will happen. And so they come to Christ because they want to get what is being promised. That is not repentance. Repentance is not making a confessional statement without intending to change your ways. I can make all the confessions I want to make, but if I do not intend to change my ways, it is not repentance. So we concluded that you cannot be deceptive and be truly repentant. You can't be living a life of deception, playing pranks and say that you are repentant. Repentance is not mere regret. It is being sorrowful in a godly sort for the wrong that you have done. Because at the end of the day, repentance is towards God. It's not towards man. Repentance has to do with a heart that is sorrowful to God for the wrong that has been done. Showing remorse after you have been caught is not true repentance, especially in the case of Achan that we saw, where he had several opportunities to repent, but he did not until he was caught. At that point in time, you cannot be saying that you are repentant. All you're trying to do is to avoid the consequence of your crime. Face-saving actions don't qualify as true repentance. Inflicting injury on yourself is not true repentance. That's what 
idol worshippers do. They inflict injury upon themselves, hoping that it will be seen as an act of repentance. Since the sinner's prayer is not the same as true repentance. There are people who have said the sinner's prayer severally. Why? They are not repentant. If they were repentant, when they tell you to say the sinner's prayer, you would say it from deep within your heart. And you would understand what you are saying. You are not just saying it because somebody said, repeat this after me. You are saying it from the depth of your heart. That you are truly sorry unto the Lord whom you have sinned against. Confession without change is not repentance. Your confession doesn't mean anything if you are not willing to change. It's like saying to somebody whom you have offended, I am sorry. And then the next instant, you do the exact same thing that you did that warranted you to say, I am sorry. And then you repeat it. How have you been sorry? That is not repentance. So we must understand that repentance is not something that we toy with. It's not something that we can be deceptive about. Everything that we have spoken about when we talk of what repentance is not and these issues of deception, not having godly sorrow and so on and so forth, they are things that represent false or fake repentance. They are not true repentance. And there's a reason why we put them under that category. Because today, we want to look at some people who did not even repent at all. And by the grace of God, we shall also look at why they did not repent. What was the underlying reason? And then next week, we are now going to look at why people repent falsely. And what do we expect if we are truly repentant? My prayer is that the Almighty God will enable us to understand repentance as it is, even though we are discussing repentance from dead works. But it will enable us to understand repentance as it is in the context of sin, because that is the first step before we even begin to talk of repentance from dead works. And as a result, we'll be able to go over our foundations, the foundational aspects of our lives when we came to Christ, if indeed we truly repented or we did something that was false or fake, or we didn't even repent at all, we just kept going to church. And the thrust of all of that is so that we can change and get to the place of true repentance from sin and then talk about repentance from dead works. So I begin by looking at the story of Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, from verse 1 to 13, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, 
the woman whom you gave to me with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is a classic case of people given an opportunity to repent and they never repented. When God was asking Adam, where are you? God was not requesting for information. He was asking that question because he wanted to get Adam to repent. He wanted Adam to volitionally repent. But when Adam was not forthcoming and Adam was saying, oh, we heard of you, we hid because we're naked. He said, who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten of the fruit of the tree that I told you not to eat of? Adam could jolly well at that time also have said, I'm sorry. Indeed, I ate. I'm sorry. But no, he did not. Instead, he blamed God indirectly. He said, the woman you gave me. So blaming God and blaming the woman is the one that made me eat it. So God left Adam, since Adam was not going to repent, and went to Eve and said, what is this that you have done? And what was Eve's response? The serpent made me do it. Yes, the serpent told her some things to do, but the Bible records that the decision was taken by her. Let me read verse 6 again. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took off its fruit. I have always said this, nobody can make you do what you don't want to do. You do it because you want to do it. But here we have a situation where two individuals participated in an act, and they never repented. Never. Even though God continued to show his compassion in showing them clothing and other things, continued to take care of them, yet they did not repent. We must understand that whilst some people may repent falsely, there are people who don't repent at all. In Genesis chapter 4, we look at Cain, and I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 13. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, that is God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Again, we don't hear anything from Cain suggesting that he was repentant. He just did not repent. He did something that God was not happy with. And God told him, sin is at the door. If you change, you can be a master over sin. You can put sin aside. But be careful. If you don't do what is right, sin is at the door. He is going to master you. He's going to take over your life. And instead of Cain to leave the presence of God and go and do what was right that God had told him, he instead, he went and had a conversation with Abel. The Bible doesn't tell us what the conversation was about. But there must have been something that was said that must have angered Cain or Cain was just such a person. 
a murderous fellow and he killed his brother. He has committed a crime. He has killed the brother. And then God now comes. Again, the way God came to Adam and to Eve and asked Cain, where is Abel your brother? You would have expected Cain if he was repentant to say, I'm sorry, I killed my brother. Instead, he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Talking to God. The mistake many of us make is that God knows all things. He sees everything. He knows everything. So when God is asking you a question, like I said earlier, he is not seeking information from you. He is trying to encourage you to repent. He's trying to get you to the place where your heart can be smitten and you can say, Lord, I'm sorry. I did it in another, whatever you want to say, but Lord, I am sorry. But Cain did not do that. Do you know that when God now cursed Cain, the only statement Cain could make was that the punishment you have given me is too great for me to bear. He has not thought of the fact that he killed his brother. No remorse, no repentance whatsoever. My prayer is that if that is how we have been living our lives, the Almighty God will help us to make a change because it does not help to act as if we are ignorant of what is taking place around us. There are many people who act like that. When God is speaking to them in a church meeting, they begin to wonder, why is God asking me that kind of question? If he's God, should he not know? Of course he knows. He's trying to help you to repent. He's not asking you for information. He's encouraging you to repent. But no, people don't do that. They continue to go on until there is a consequence for it. And then they say, can the Lord not be lighting? And they still will not repent. Can they still did not repent. At least we saw people who when they saw the punishment, they began to feign repentance. But in Cain's case, he didn't even repent at all. He only complained that it's too great for him. It's like saying, reduce it. 1 Samuel chapter 13 from verse 8 to 15. This is about King Saul. The backstory of this is that before Saul became king, Samuel had told him some things. And one of it was that when it was time to go to war, Samuel said, I will come and give the sacrifice. And after I've given the sacrifice, you can then go to war. But what now happened was that instead of Saul to wait for Samuel to come, because Samuel delayed for some reason, he went ahead and did what he should not have done. He wasn't a priest, neither was he a prophet. So instead of waiting, he went ahead and made the sacrifice. So let's take the story from verse 8. Then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. This is Saul. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled, I think uh, the, the old King James says, I forced myself, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him about 600 men. Again, we don't hear any statement of, I'm sorry, no repentance from King Saul on this occasion. No repentance whatsoever. Again, we find him blaming Samuel. You came late. The people were already scattered. The Philistines were there. What else would I have done? I forced myself to do what you should have done. 
in the first place. He may not have said it that way. It may have been subtle, but it will be implied that this whole thing is your fault. Why are you trying to blame me? You didn't come where you should have come. People were already scattering. We had a war on our hands. You may have an excuse, but the point is you did what was wrong. And even when he was told that the kingdom would not be for him, again, that God would look for somebody else to take it, he didn't show any concern. No repentance whatsoever. It is amazing how people can go to church, listen to a message that touches their heart and calls them to repentance. And they keep mute as though they never heard anything and behave as if what was said did not concern them. In Second Chronicles, I'll be reading chapter 16, verse 1 to 12. But again, there's a backstory to this. God had given King Asa a great victory. And when he was returning, a prophet, the son of Oded, began to prophesy and said, Hear, King Asa, hear all Judah. The Lord is with you whilst you are with him. If you will walk with him, he will walk with you. And they encouraged them. And they made a vow that they will serve God and everything. And God gave King Asa peace for 35 years. Let's take the story from chapter 16, verse 1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Beasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Aijam, Dan, Abel, Main, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now it happened, when Beasha heard it, that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Beasha had used for building, and with them he built Geba and Mizpah. And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore from now on you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Note that the acts of Asa first and last are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. This was another king who had seen the power of God. He had tasted of the victory of the Lord. And then he had a little challenge from another king. And instead of trusting God, he went to his enemy and gave him monies from his treasury and told him, please fight this fellow so that the fellow can leave me alone. And of course, the Syrian king Ben-Hadad did that and things were going on as usual. Then God sent a seer to him and the prophet said to him, King Gesa, are you not the one that God helped when you went to fight against the Ethiopians and the Lubim? A force of one million with several chariots and God gave you victory over them. How come now? that the king of Israel came against you. Instead of going to God again, you go and meet the enemy, Ben-Hadad, and give him money. 
and said to him that he should come and rescue you. In this you have done foolishly. He said the eyes of the Lord is running to and fro looking for people whose hearts are right before him that he might show himself strong in their behalf. That is people who will rely on him. What was Esau's response? Esau became angry. Why? Because they were telling him that what he did was wrong. He became angry. He grabbed the fellow and threw him into prison. He didn't repent. Then, in the 39th year, three years after that incident, God allowed him three years to repent. No repentance. He now had a disease in his feet and still no repentance. Instead, what did he do? He sought after physicians. Beloved, there are many people in our churches today who have not one day repented before the Lord. They just continue to come to church. And what is sad is many of the pastors know these people. They go to their homes. They see the way they are living, that these people are not living like children of God. This is not about fake repentance. This is no repentance at all. And they encourage them. They, they call them hand lifters, supporters of the work. Do you think God is interested in such a support? Instead of you to talk to these people and tell them, plead with them, whilst the breath of life is in their mouth, that they should repent before the Lord. We don't. We think because they have money to spend that they are okay. You cannot buy salvation. It is a gift from God to those who are truly humble and repentant at heart. And even when Asa was diseased in his leg, he did not turn to God. Instead, the Bible says he turned to physicians. No repentance, not one statement from God. Finally, we look at another king, King Uzziah. This was a popular King Uzziah that Isaiah saw as a righteous king. Let's look at what happened between him and the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 26. I'll be reading from verse 16 to verse 21. Uzziah was somebody that the Bible says was marvelously helped by God to become king. In verse 16 of Second Chronicles chapter 26, the Bible says, But when he, that is Uzziah, was strong, his heart was lifted up. That is talking of pride in his heart to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah, the priest, went in after him, and with him were eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand, to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham his son was over the king's house judging the people of the land. This is Uzziah, a king that would have considered to be righteous. The Bible says when his heart was lifted up, so many things had been done through him. God had done quite a bit through him. Now he had become proud. He had become lifted up in his heart, believing that he was something or he was someone. And so he took incense in his hand to go into the temple, something that was the exclusive preserve of the priest. Not even the Levites could do that. But he had become so puffed up that he thought he could do anything. So he took the incense into the temple. As he was going, the chief priest and the other priest, 80 of them, withstood him and said to him, where are you going to? You're not even a priest. Come out of that place. Leave this place. You want to burn incense to who? You don't even have the, the, the right to do it. And the king became furious. 
Who are you to challenge me? Do you know that I'm the king? Do you know who I am? And once he was angry and exchanging with them, God broke leprosy over him. And the priest looked at him on his forehead and said, this man has become leprous. And the law was such that if you are a leper, you must be removed from the house of God. You must be removed from where people are. And immediately they noticed that he was a leper. They said, out. The Bible says they thrust him out. He himself, because he had become a leper, ran away. Because in those days, if you were a leper, you must cover your mouth and be shouting, unclean, 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 so that people will avoid you. Because leprosy is highly contagious. The Bible never recorded that Uzziah repented once. He was isolated in a house, one ragged place. And that was where he died. The Bible does not record that Uzziah repented once. It is a sad epithet to a king for whom God did so much that this was how he died. A leper. How could somebody have become so great and die like a leper? I believe there was opportunity for him to repent. But he did not choose that opportunity. And at the end of the day, his life became a sorry case. There is the case of a king that I'm going to look at. And in his own case, he repented. But I want to look at it because there is something that I want us to understand about the nature of repentance before God. So that if we are still struggling with whether to repent or not, this scripture that I'm going to read will help us. Second Chronicles chapter 33 from verse 1, uh, probably stop in verse 17 or thereabout. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Please note these things. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. He raised up altars for the Baals and made wooden images. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Not what this king was doing. He was committing idolatry, whole-scale idolatry. He was even building altars in the house of God to the host of heaven, to the sun, to the moon, to the stars, to the queen of the coasts, and so on and so forth. Also, he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. I mean, this is a very horrible fellow. He even set a carved image, the idol which he had made, in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them, according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Syria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Now, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his father. Can you imagine this guy? This was a guy who had committed several crimes that you would expect that, we, in fact, he has no hope. But when he was imprisoned, when he was afflicted, like the prodigal son, he came to his son and said, look at me, what is happening? And then he humbled himself. The Bible says he humbled himself greatly. Verse 13. And prayed to him. That is, he prayed to God. And 
he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem, into the kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Not that all Manasseh did was to humble himself and cry to God. It was the opportunity that Adam and Eve had. Cain had it. King Saul had it. King Asa had it. King Uzziah had it. They never took it. They didn't even do as horribly as Manasseh did. But here was Manasseh in affliction. He repented. His repentance was genuine. Yes, affliction brought him to that place of repentance. I told you that God must bring you to the place of realization that he is a sinner. That affliction brought him to the place of realization that he had offended against God. And he acknowledged it and began to repent unto God. Let's read verse 13 again. And prayed to him and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. The Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. God actually brought him back as king after he had been in prison. God returned him as king. After this, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate and it enclosed Ophel and he raised it to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. He took away, please note, he sees his actions after he was brought back. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places but only to the Lord their God. This was Manasseh, a very wicked king, a very evil king. Well, we don't have the facts scripturally, but it is believed that it is this Manasseh who killed Isaiah by putting him inside a tree trunk and sawing him in two. It is mentioned in Hebrews that some were sawn in two. It's believed that that is how he killed Isaiah, but we don't have it in scripture. It's, it's something that is said of him. This was a very brutal king, but when he faced affliction, the Bible says he humbled himself before God and indeed humbled himself greatly. I'm saying this because I want you to understand one thing. A humble heart, God cannot turn his back on. He will never turn his back on a humble heart. If you are truly humble before God, God will listen to you. He returned this man to being a king. When the man returned to being a king, he did not say, now I'm back as king. Thank God, I'm back. This, which is what many of us do. The moment there is small respite, we forget God. He went and began to remove everything he had put in place that was contrary to God. He removed the idols. He removed the altars. Consecrated the house of God again. Gave peace offerings. Thank offerings. Put worship back in place. That, my brother, my sisters, is true repentance. The vilest offender, the hymn writer says, who truly believes shall that moment a pardon receive. How do we know he truly believes? We will see his acts afterwards. We will see his conduct. He's not just saying, I'm sorry. God looks at the heart and sees a truly penitent heart. He placed that man back. And what did the man do? He went ahead and uncoupled everything. One of the things which we have not emphasized is that true repentance has at the back of it restitution, where whatever you did wrong, you make it right again. These are part of the actions of true repentance. The Bible tells us of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, how the Lord told him, I will eat in your house today. And this was a corrupt person of the highest order. And when the Lord came to his house, Zacchaeus told the Lord, said, everything that I have taken from the poor, I will return sevenfold or is it fivefold or so. Zacchaeus was going to be a poor man by the time he did the restitution. And the Lord said, this day salvation has entered into your home. Why? His action showed that he was truly repentant. The Lord told the story in the book of Matthew about two sons. He said to one of the sons, the father had said, go. He said, I won't go. Then he said to the second son, you go and do this. The son said, I will go. The first one that the father spoke to realized his wrong 
and went. The second one who said, I will go, did not go. And the Lord asked, which of the two sons did the will of the father? They said the first one. He said, exactly. That is how tax collectors and prostitutes are coming to the kingdom. And those who truly should be in the kingdom are kicked out. Repentance is about recognizing that I have been doing what is wrong. Now I want to come back to God. But for you to do wrong and still continue to behave as if nothing is wrong, there's a problem there. So let's briefly attend to one major issue. Why did these people who refused to repent not repent? One of the reasons that we can see that ran across was that they blamed others. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. King Saul blamed Samuel, blamed the circumstance that was there, never accepted anything. The second thing about these people who did not repent, they refused to admit that they were wrong. They refused to admit any guilt whatsoever. And there are people like that. We never admit any guilt. Oh, so and so made me do it. It's because of this that I did it. It's because of that that I did it. But the fact is that you did it. Repentance does not permit you to lay blame on anybody. Repentance expects you to take full accountability for your wrong. Which brings me to the third thing. They refused to take responsibility for their actions or inactions. Adam did not take responsibility for his actions. Eve did not take responsibility for her actions. Cain did not take any responsibility for his action. Saul didn't take responsibility for his action. Neither did the others. Asa or Uzzah, they were not interested. Asa was angry at the man who was telling him that what he had done was wrong. That again brings me to the fourth thing. They were angry at those telling them that what they had done was wrong. Are you like that? When you are being told the truth, you are fuming. You are getting angry. Who is he to speak to me like this? Why should he be telling me this? The question, my brother, my sister, my friend, are they telling you the truth? That is what is important. It may hurt your ego. It may indeed crush your ego. That's what it's meant to be. Truth comes to crush your ego. Truth comes to tell you that you are a sinner. Truth does not sugarcoat, does not tell that, well, you know, you are okay. No. Truth tells you who you are. You are a sinner. Repent. That's what truth does. So why are you angry? Angry that they're telling you the truth. That's why many people don't repent. They find it very easy to pass the buck to blame other people. They find it easy not to admit that they are wrong. Some people feel that there's something to benefit from not admitting wrong. They think that it makes them a strong person to have a strong character when they don't admit that they are wrong, that they're always right. That by itself is pride and arrogance of the highest order. When you see somebody who is not willing to take responsibility for his actions or inactions, you have seen somebody who will never repent, who will not repent, who refuses to repent. And of course, finally, the people who get angry when you tell them the truth. What are you angry about? Why are you angry? Cain was angry when he saw that God had respect unto Abel's offering and not unto his. He was angry. Why are you angry that God is blessing somebody who is walking right with God and not you? You don't see that God is trying to get you to come and do the right thing. Can't you see the mercy of God? See how God helped Manasseh. And Manasseh grabbed that opportunity with both hands. He was thrown in prison by the king locked up but he immediately repented before god said i'm sorry and god returned him the same can be said of nebuchadnezzar in daniel chapter 4 whom god had sent out of his palace into the forest and for seven years he lived like an animal he himself said that in the seventh year when he lifted up his head unto heaven his understanding returned to him he became a human being again and he praised god and said indeed there is no god besides him he rules in the affairs of men he sets one up and sets another down he is the one who decides who is king and who is not king. He was returned to his throne, to the place where he should have been. God is able to do all those things if indeed in our hearts we are repentant before him. By the grace of God, next week we shall look at why people repent falsely. And then we shall look at what we need to have in us to truly repent. 
And you will see that the reality is there is a nature, a heart that we must have. Otherwise, we'll not repent. We discussed the issue of the hearts. Remember how many broadcasts ago when we looked at the parable of the, what I call the parable of the soils or the parable of the soils is commonly called. And we spoke about the soils, spoke about the hard heart, spoke about the stony heart and the thorny heart. And we said those three hearts will never get anywhere with God. But there's a good and honest heart. You need to have that kind of heart. David spoke of brokenness. You need to be broken. Your ego must be crushed. Your feeling that you are great must be broken completely. And then humility will come forth. And there's one thing that I've discovered from scripture. God cannot turn away from a humble heart. No matter how horrible the crime that fellow has committed is, when that person humbles himself before God, God can repent of what he wanted to do. Even Ahab, as horrible as Ahab was, when God spoke to Elijah, concerning Ahab and told Ahab that he was going to be destroyed because he took the land of somebody else. The Bible says that Ahab humbled himself. And God said to Elijah, you see that thing I told Ahab? It won't happen in his day. I will let him go first before it happens. I can't understand it, but that is who God is. I'm saying this to you because you need to humble yourself and go before the Lord and truly, truly repent unto him. He will accept you. He will receive you. Believe you me. Stop blaming others for what you are doing for what you have done. Stop refusing to admit guilt when the Holy Spirit particularly is telling you that you are guilty. Start taking responsibility for your actions. Repentance is simple. I'm sorry, Lord, I did this. I shouldn't have, but I did. Please forgive me. It's as simple as that. It's not going to say sinner's prayer every day. What is the state of your heart? Is your heart such that God can touch it and change it? Because repentance has to do with a change of heart. Why do you get angry when you are being told the truth? Why do you get angry when you are told that you are a sinner? Why do you get angry when you are told that you are going to hell the way you are living? Oh, sometimes we feel that it's absurd. Why should somebody be speaking like that? It's wrong. Is that? But that is the truth. And it might just be that it is out of love for you. He may not have the right language. But he's saying to you that this is where you are heading for. The way you are living. Why is he doing that? He is trying to draw you to the place of repentance. My friends, my prayer for you is that you would seek the opportunity of this message and turn to God in true repentance. And I tell you the truth. God will accept you. If it is with a humble heart, if your ego doesn't mean anything to you, you're ready to cast it aside and come to God. He will accept you. He will accept your repentance. He will accept your turning to him and he will do the rest. He will make you right. He will make you all right. He will bring you to the place of righteousness where you will hate sin and you will repudiate it and forsake it and you begin to walk with God. It's my prayer that that will happen for you. Even as you, in all honesty, go to God even at this instant. For the rest of us, let us weigh ourselves. Let's weigh what we had done. If we say that we are repented, did we truly repent? Or did we just start going to church? Because that's what some people do. They just started going to church. And they felt that that was okay. Going to church doesn't mean anything to God. God is looking for a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship. Yes, he meets with us as a church. But he wants to meet with you one-on-one. -on -one. It's like having a family meeting where we all gather before our parents and everybody has a discussion. But after that family gathering, your father or your mother, they still want to meet with you one-on-one. -on -one. You cannot say because we had family meetings, so I met with dad. No, you've not met with him. You've met as a family. So going to church is not enough. You cannot hide under the guise of I went to church. Have you truly repented? If not, you have an opportunity to repent today. Turn to God and repent. And tell him, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a savior. I know that Jesus Christ is that savior. Help me. Let me come to you with a heart that is open to God. Not just a, a proud and arrogant heart. No, a humble heart. My prayer is that God will help you. Because I realize that if God does not help you, you will not repent. I pray that God will help you. And that by the time we meet again, the Almighty God would have met you, would have spoken to you. And you can have the joy of the Holy Spirit knowing that you are now saved. That is one of the first things that you observe. You have a joy in your heart. 
the peace of God will surround you and righteousness will overshadow you. Until then, God bless you.